We're talking about the mystery of Jesus, who Jesus is, who Jesus was. We're talking about the person of Jesus through the eyes of John or through the book of John. So what I'm doing is I'm just reading these chapters over and over and over again, looking at what is this chapter telling me about Jesus. I want to get to know Jesus better. And John chapter 7 is the mystery of identification. In other words, this is the, when you read John 7, I read it over and over and over again. I kept seeing how the Jesus became a person. He became a human being, and he had problems just like I have problems. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, let me explain to you what identification means, because we use it theologically, but I can give you a better definition of it. Um, there is a political strategy called identification. And you are familiar with this because you've seen this happen. This is a political strategy called identification. And what it is is when an, uh, a candidate goes to like a factory and he'll put on a hard hat and the white coat and, and goggles and he will talk about how his great-great-grandfather worked in a factory every day of his life for... 40 years, and because of that, he can now relate to us that work in the factory. And he knows what we're going through, and he's in our corner, and he's on our side, and and America is great because of us, because of factory workers. Are you all following me on this? You ever heard this? Personally, I don't know how he knows about working in a factory because his great-great-grandfather worked there. I don't understand that, but that's kind of what they do. And then he'll leave that meeting, he'll take his white coat off, and he'll have a suit on underneath, and he'll go meet with bankers. And he'll talk about interest rates and the economy and the stock market and all these things and how his wife's aunt's uncle used to work in a bank, and therefore he can relate to them, and bankers are what makes the world go around, and we couldn't live without them. And then he'll go to a, a farm, and he'll get on a combine, and he'll put on overalls, and he'll drive it 10 feet, and he'll talk about how his great-great-great-great-grandfather, uh, twice removed, used to live on a farm, and uh, so he can relate to farmers, and farmers are what make the world go. Are you all following me? Okay, I hope you're getting to where I am and don't like candidates. But anyway, <laughs> and politicians. The point is, that is what they call identification. Well, let me tell you what that is. That is the illusion of identification. And here's the great news. Our God did not settle for the illusion of identification. Jesus didn't make a low pass over the earth and, and say, I know you and I understand you and I can relate to you. He didn't come and pose for the cameras for 15 minutes and say, I'm, I'm on your side and I'm in your corner and I feel your pain. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, became the creation. That is amazing to me. He was born, he, he was a toddler, he was a teenager, he went through puberty, he had awkward stages, he, uh, he had a job, he worked for a living, he understands what we're going through. That's identification. Are, are you all following me? You're, you're not saying enough amens this morning. Because I understand it's the 8.30 service, but this is very good preaching. Okay. This is amazing to me. I want you to let this sink in. Somehow we just looked over this, that God became a human being for 33 years. 
He lived on this earth. He understands. I'm telling you, if you catch this revelation, it will change your life. He truly understands what you're going through. And that's what John 7 is about. And so you've got your Bibles open there. Let me tell you five things that stood out to me in this in this chapter, and then we'll read Scripture on each one in John 7, all right? Number one, Jesus understands family problems. This is a good one. Jesus understands family problems. Now, look at John chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. That's, that's a good reason not to want to walk somewhere. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. This, by the way, is the third Passover he has attended while in ministry. It is his, the end of his second year of ministry. He's about to begin his third year of ministry. His brothers therefore said to him, watch who said this, his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now that sounds like great advice until you see the next verse. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now this is the Bible. I want you to just notice this. And I want you to think about the impact of this. Even his brothers did not believe in him. They didn't believe he was who he said he was. They didn't believe. As a matter of fact, they probably mocked him. They probably ridiculed him. They probably thought he was illegitimate. I don't think that they believed the story that the Holy Spirit impregnated their mother. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe he was who he said he was. They didn't believe in him. They didn't believe in his dreams. They didn't believe in his destiny. They didn't believe in his vision. They were always putting him down. Can anyone relate to that? Has anyone here ever had family problems? Now, you probably don't want to raise your hand because some of you are sitting by family. So, But every one of us can relate to this. It is one of the main issues in marital counseling. For years, I did marriage counseling. And for years, I always had to deal with in-laws. I always had to deal with the subject of in-laws. And finally, the Lord gave me the key to it. Finally, I'm sitting there with this husband listening to things about her family and the wife listening to things about his family. And finally, I said, wait a minute, I, I can help you in this situation. And I turned to the lady and I said, I don't want you to... Uh, no, I turned to the lady and I said, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. And I turned to the man and I said, you just tune me out for a minute, all right? I just want to talk to her. You can even leave the room if you want to. But I just need to talk to her just for a moment. And then I turned to her and I said, his family is crazy. His family, they're nuts. And she said, yes, I've been finally, someone agrees with me. I said, they're nuts. I've never heard of anything like this in my life. I said, you could call them the granola family, fruits, flakes, and nuts. I said, this is incredible. I said, but here's the thing that's amazing is you're letting it bother you. That's the problem. I said, listen, the next time you go Thanksgiving or you go Christmas, you sit there with a smile on your face and you know that they're nuts and you're not. And you thank God, you thank God that your husband is the only normal one out of the family and you got the normal one. Don't worry about it. Don't let it bother you anymore. That's the problem. Just sit there and smile. And I said to her, they're going to say nutty things because crazy people say crazy things. And you're letting crazy things bother you. Why would you be surprised if crazy people say crazy things? 
So for now, when they some, say something crazy, you just smile. And I said, now, you don't listen for a minute. I want to talk to him. And I turned to him and I said, her family's crazy. I said, I've never heard anything like this in my life. They're nuts. And I just went through the same thing with him. And they walked out with big smiles on their face. They walked out thinking we're the only two sane people in the world. And, and here's the amazing thing. You've had that thought too. Everybody else is nuts. Jesus understands what it's like to come from a family that doesn't believe in you, doesn't support you, always brings up your past, brings up any mistake or anything they think they can find in you. He understands family problems. As a matter of fact, his family thought he was crazy. Look at this verse. Mark chapter 3, verse 21 says, But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. That's what they said about him. They thought he was the crazy one, and they were the crazy ones. You see what I'm saying? He's out of his mind. They went out, and by the way, it says when they heard about this, and this was referring to casting demons out. He was healing people. He was uh, preaching the gospel. He was talking to scripture about Scripture. He was going to the synagogues and speaking. And all of a sudden, he starts casting demons out of people. And they said when they heard about this, casting demons out, they went out to lay hold and said, he's crazy. He's lost his mind. And they went out and said to him, listen, you've gone off the deep end with this charismatic stuff. I mean, you know, go preach and be a minister and all, but don't do this demon stuff. You're going off the deep end. You're a good carpenter. Come home. That's what they did. They went out to talk to him about that. So Jesus understands family problems. If you're having any difficulty in your family, I want you to understand something. He understands it. And here's the second thing Jesus understands. Jesus understands being gossiped about. Have you ever had lies told about you? Have you ever had rumors spread about you? Have you ever had someone say something and it just wasn't true and it just got on the circuit and began to circulate around? Jesus understands. Look at John 7, verse 10. But his brothers had gone up, then he also went to the feast. Not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews saw him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. They, in other words, they just spoke behind his back. They didn't speak openly. But they were all talking. Some said, others said, some said, others said. This is on through the rest of John 7. You can read it. There's all this said going on, all this talking going on. And here's the, the sentence in there that just blows me away. There was much complaining concerning him. How could there be much complaining about someone who did only good? How can you complain about him? And here here was a man who did nothing wrong. Listen, Jesus was perfect. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If they can make up rumors and lies about someone who was perfect, they can make up rumors and lies about you. If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. That's what the Scripture says. Here's what Jesus said. They did it to me. They're going to do it to you. But be of good cheer because I've overcome it. You can overcome it too. These lies, these rumors, this gossip that was always constantly everywhere he went. Jesus knows what it's like to walk in a room and have people point and talk. He was a human being. He went through this. He understands this. Now, Debbie and I went through a time in our lives when there were some rumors being spread about us. 
We couldn't believe it. They, they had no basis at all. Absolutely none. There wasn't anything that we could even close to tie the basis. They were just outright lies. And it bothered us, and it bothered us tremendously. And we just kept saying, we don't understand. God, we don't understand. And, and any time I would see someone that I thought might have heard it, I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to go through the whole story and explain how there's no way that this could possibly be true. It is just a constant, it's like a drain. It's like any time I'd even be having fun, all of a sudden something would happen, it would remind me of that, and I'd be depressed again and discouraged. Anyone ever gone through that? And then the Lord showed me a scripture. Let me show you this scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you. You could say blessed, but I really want to say blessed. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Watch this word. Falsely. In other words, there's no truth to it. It's a rumor. Falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is what he says. When someone lies about you, rejoice. Now that's kind of hard to do, isn't it? And Luke takes it even farther. Luke says, when someone lies about you, jump for joy. Leap for joy. Jump for joy. How do you do that? I said, God, how do I do that? And the Lord began to show me, because this is where we were. If during this time of our life, was one of the most blessed times of our life. Our marriage, our family, children, health, financially, ministry, everything in our life was going great, except for these rumors. And everything in our life was just going wonderful. It was unbelievable. It was the best it had ever been going, except for these rumors. And I said to the Lord, God, everything's going so great. If it just was, if, it, if, if we just didn't have the rumors, everything would be great. And this is what he said to me. Everything's going great because of the rumors. <laughs> and he showed me this first. He said, look, look, you are being blessed right now because you're responding correctly to the rumors. In other words, the more rumors they spread, the more you're going to be blessed. And the more rewards you're going to get. And it really, I'm telling you the truth, it got to the place when we would hear a new rumor. And by the way, there's always a new one. <laughs> there's always one you've not heard before. Every time we'd hear a new rumor, we'd look at ourselves like, Hallelujah, what's going to happen now? This is great. Great, thank you, Lord, another rumor. Because there's going to be another blessing. And more rewards in heaven. Jesus understands. I know it hurts. I know it hurts because it hurt me. But I'm telling you that Jesus understands what it's like. And on top of that, he's going to bless us when that happens. So that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. Jesus understands being misunderstood. Jesus understands being misunderstood. Look, look at um, uh, verse 33. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer... And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now that's kind of clear. He's talking about the ascension and going to, to heaven to be with the Father. Now watch, watch how they misunderstand. Verse 35. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Now, they're, they're totally off base. They don't understand. The more I read John 7, 
the more frustrated I got with how people couldn't didn't understand. I kept thinking, Lord, I just keep reading, and you say one thing, and they say something else, and you say one thing, and they they don't understand. I I I, I said I'm I, I'm exasperated. The more I read this, the more frustrated I get. The Lord said to me, How do you think I felt? <laughs> I was the one living it. And here I want to remind you, this is after two years of ministry. After two years of ministry, they still don't follow him. They still don't understand what he's saying. And many times, even in his third year of ministry, he would tell a parable, and the disciples would come to him after and say, what, what did that mean out there? What, what are you talking about, the wheat and the tares and the, and the field and, and sowing in the field? What are you talking about? In his third year of ministry, even the ones closest to him didn't understand. Misunderstandings. Don't, don't misunderstandings frustrate you. Isn't it amazing? See... In the world we live in, relationships give us a great deal of joy and also a great deal of pain. And it's misunderstanding. I mean, I get so frustrated with misunderstandings. Now, I'm, I'm going to just tell you something about me. I'm going to be real vulnerable with you, but I, I don't like email. I, I don't like it at all. I don't like Al Gore either because I, I heard he invented it. <laughs> I don't like email. Do you know why? Let me tell you why I don't like email. I've had more misunderstandings, come on, through email than any other thing. Because they can't hear my heart. They can't hear what I'm feeling. They can't, I just, it looks just black and white. I, it's happened to me before. I'll get an email from someone, I think, why is he chewing me out? I mean, this guy is just chewing me out. I've never even met the guy and he's chewing me out about something. And so I write him back, and then when he gets it, he thinks, why is he chewing me out, see? And, and we, don't, we can't get together and talk because I, we don't, I can't meet with every person that sends an email to me. And I've got all these misunderstandings, and I'm trying to do the best I can and answer all of them. And one, one guy will say, well, what do you mean by that one little phrase? And I say, I don't know what I meant by that one little phrase. I was answering 48 emails that day. I was just trying to get it done as quickly as I could. Misunderstandings. And by the way... We need to remember as believers, there are going to be even more misunderstandings because we have an enemy who is trying to divide us. That is his whole purpose, is to cause misunderstandings. Even when we're talking face-to-face with someone. Let me explain to you why the enemy does this. Have you ever had an argument with someone, and after the argument, when you were talking, you were reconciling, they said to you, well, you said... And you know you didn't say that? Has that ever happened to you? They say, well, you said, and you say, no, no, that's not what I said. Well, let me tell you what happened. That's what they heard. That's how good the enemy is. See, Jesus called him the prince and power of the air. Isn't it amazing that when we speak words, they go through the air. And we say something, and he says, you know what he really said? You know what he meant? And then they say to you, you said, see, there's a, there's a frustration, there's, a, there's a, a disunity that Satan is trying to bring to believers in the area of misunderstandings. And misunderstandings always, always occur. Always occur. It just depends on if you're going to let them get to you or not. I heard about a guy that was shipwrecked. And when they picked him up, there were three huts on the island. He was there all alone, three huts. 
So after he got his strength back, they said to him, hey, what what were the three huts that you built on Mount? And he said, well, it was simple. The first one was where I lived. The second one was where I went to church. And the third one was where I used to go to church. <laughs> on the island all by himself, he had a church split. All right. Here's the fourth thing Jesus understands. Jesus understands being ridiculed. He understands being mocked, being made fun of, being ridiculed, being put down. He understands that. Look at verse 40, John 7, verse 40. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the... Now, watch what they said. Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? He did come from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem. So there was a division among the people because of him. He was constantly ridiculed for his hometown, his race, his upbringing. They, they said, well, he's not supposed to come from Galilee. The reason he went to Galilee was because Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth. And Nazareth is in Galilee, and he was raised there. They took him there because it was to fulfill Scripture. That's what the Bible says. So that he, that he would be called a Nazarene. That's why he went to Nazareth. But he was born in Bethlehem of the seed of David. But there's all this talking, all this misunderstanding, all this frustration, and all this ridiculing and mocking him. He was constantly ridiculed for his birth, the king of the king of the Jews, the Messiah being born in a stable, Ill, illegitimate. He was called illegitimate growing up. People talked behind his back, and yet he could, he couldn't go to him and say no. It was the Holy Spirit. He couldn't clear up the rumor. He was always ridiculed. He was mocked. He was put down. He was ridiculed for his race. When he died on the cross, the Romans put above his head the sign, the king of the Jews. They ridiculed him because of his race. But the Jews didn't even want to sign up there. There was a constant mockery and, and, and ridicule of him. He was ridiculed even while he was on the cross. They said to him, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, then come down from there. He was ridiculed from the time he was a little boy until he actually died at the very end. He was ridiculed his whole life. He understands what it's like to be made fun of, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be humiliated, and to be embarrassed. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was all in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Here's the wonderful thing that I want to tell you today. The high priest that we have can sympathize with what we're going through. There is nothing that you have experienced that Jesus can't sympathize with. And don't let the enemy lie to you and say, well, he was never married, or he never went through a divorce, or he didn't have children. I want you to understand something. Jesus does have a wife. And if you read the Scripture, you'll find that his wife has been unfaithful to him, that his wife asked for a divorce, and he said, I won't give you one. And he does have children, and he knows what it's like when his children don't live the right way. There is absolutely nothing that we go through that the Lord cannot sympathize with us about. That's what I want you to understand. That is the mystery of identification, that everything that you're going through, he can sympathize with. Now, here's the fifth thing, the last thing. Jesus understands small beginnings. In other words, he understands not being as far along as you would like to be at this time. He understands not making as much progress as you would have hoped to have made. 
He understands what it's like to be a human and try to do the right thing and try to influence people and try to help people and, and people get mad at you. I have a pastor friend of mine that said to me one time, he, he was in the business world and he became a pastor. In the business world for 20 years and then became a pastor. And here's what he said to me. I said, tell me what it's like being a pastor. He said, this is what it's like being a pastor. I get up in the morning with one goal in mind and that's to help people. I go through the day with that one goal in mind just to help people. And it's amazing to me at the end of the day when all I want to do is help people, how many people got mad at me that day. <clears throat> I said, you described the ministry great. That's it right there. That's what Jesus did. And that's what all of us feel to some extent. Look at this. John 7 verse 32 says, The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. In essence, they were murmuring, could this be the Messiah? And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then look down at verse 45. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? I, I love verse 46. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. <laughs> they went out to arrest him and got convicted. That's pretty good. Then look at verse 47. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? Now, I just want you to notice the question. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? Hold on to that question. But this crowd, they're saying, that does not know the law is a curse. Now, watch the first word of verse 50. Nicodemus. <laughs> now, remember their question? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? Nicodemus. He who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, being a ruler, being a Pharisee, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said, well, you, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, no prophets are risen out of Galilee. They didn't even answer his question, see. They just wanted to put it down. Nicodemus, by the way, obviously became a believer. We know that from history. We know that he showed up at the birth, of, at, the, uh, at the death of Jesus with a hundred pounds of spices to help embalm the body. So, it's kind of amazing. Here's the thing I want to show you. This is this after two years of ministry. After two years of ministry, he only has a handful of followers and one Pharisee. <laughs> after two years of ministry. And we remember John 6, two weeks ago, it says from that time, many of those following him went back and followed him no more. By the way, when he was crucified, when he's standing, before he was crucified, when he's at the trial, all those people that he had healed, that he had fed, that he had prayed for, that he had ministered to, that he taught, those are the ones that were saying crucify him. The very ones that he had ministered to for three years. So he understands what it's like to work very hard and see little results. When we planted the church, it's not even three and a half years yet. We started April of 2000, so three years and I guess five months ago, somewhere around there. The uh, first Sunday, we met in the Hilton Hotel in Grapevine. Um, and, but it was too expensive. We couldn't stay there, obviously. And the only place we could, we could find to meet was the Dollar Theater in Grapevine. It's behind the uh, Madelines and P.F. Chang's and all now, you know. Um, and it was, it was horrible. You kept, I see Sandy up there shaking her head because she remembers. It, it was, you know, you can't, it's worse than horrible. You can't imagine horrible. I mean, the seats, you stuck to the seats when you sat down. There was no lighting, none at all. We couldn't see. They couldn't see me. I didn't realize it. The first Sunday we were there, I wore a long sleeve black shirt and black pants. 
And this guy said to me off afterwards, he said, all I could see was two waving hands and a talking head. <laughs> Just two hands and a head up there talking, you know. Jesus understands small beginnings. He understands difficult times. He under, Listen, I, I, here's, the, here's the crux of the message, and this is what I want to tell you. If you're not as far along as you think you should be, or you want to be, or you don't know the Word like you should, or you're not a leader yet in the church, or you're, just still, you're still struggling with difficulties you've been struggling with for years, and you just don't understand why you still struggle with that area of your life, I've got good news for you today, and I want you to hear this from the Lord. You're doing better than you think. And I want you to understand that our high priest understands and sympathizes with us, and he knows what it's like to be a human being and to live in a fallen world and to have the devil beating on you every day. He is not a judgmental and critical high priest. He is a sympathetic high priest. And the throne that he sets on is not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. And my question to you today is, when are you going to go to this throne of grace and mercy and talk to this sympathetic high priest who understands what it's like about the problems you're going through? When are you going to go talk to him about it? You don't need to run away from the throne of grace. You don't need to run away from someone who sympathizes with you. He's the one we need to go talk to. Anything that you're going through, He understands. That's what I'm telling you. He understands what it's like to go through family problems, to be gossiped about, to be ridiculed about, to be misunderstood. He understands what it's like. Let me tell you a true story about a boy that grew up with ridicule and mockery and misunderstandings. And there was a seminary professor that was on vacation. This is a true story. It's been documented. He was on vacation in Tennessee. And there was a, they were in a restaurant, he and his wife eating, and there was an elderly man walking around greeting everyone at the tables. And he actually thought, I hope he doesn't come over here. I just want to be alone. And But sure enough, he came over and he started saying, how are you folks doing and where are you from and what do you do? And when he found out he was a seminary professor, he said, do you, oh, so you teach preachers to preach, right? And he said, yes, I do. And he pulled up a chair, the elderly man did, and sat down and said, I have a story for you then. He pointed out the window and he said, you see that mountain right over there? There was a boy born on that mountain many years ago to an unwed mother. And that boy, everywhere he went, was mocked and ridiculed and made fun of. He said, in those days, the number one question that you asked children was, who's your daddy? Everywhere that little boy went, Someone would say to him, he went in the store, son, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy, son, who's your daddy? And every time he was asked the question, he would put his head down and run away. Never answered, because he didn't have a daddy. And then one Sunday, a new preacher came, and he would go to church, but he'd always go, the little boy would always go late, and he'd come, he'd leave early, so no one would ask him who your daddy was. And he said, but the new pastor came, and he slipped to the back door during the closing prayer, and he said, as soon as the little boy opened the door, there was the pastor. And he said, son, who's your daddy? And he said, everything just fell quiet in the church because everybody knew the boy was illegitimate. And all of a sudden, the new pastor, sensing the awkwardness of the moment, said, I know who your daddy is. I can see the family resemblance. He said, you are a child of God. He said, son, you have a great inheritance 
because your daddy is God. And I want you to go claim your inheritance. And the older man got up and he started to walk away and he turned back to the table and he said, you know, if that pastor hadn't said that to me that day, I probably never would have amounted to anything. He turned around and walked off, and in a moment the waitress came over and the seminary professor said, do you know that older man that was at our table? She said, well, of course. Everybody knows him. That's Governor Ben Hooper. He's the greatest governor our state's ever had. See, I want you to know that no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've gone through, you're a child of God. And our God became a human being so he could